0: Hello everybody, Chris Martinson here, and today we're gonna be talking about finance and economics as part of Finance U. Remember, anything that you see in this video and all resources available at our websites or affiliated websites are not intended as or construed as financial advice. This is for educational purposes. Remember, if you have a financial decision, please consult a financial professional. We are not attorneys, we're not CPAs, we are not financial managers. As well, we do our best to be accurate And everything we represent is as accurate as we know it to be. Now, let's turn to our program. The problem is, is there's really attractive value stocks. And they're still going to have some volatility because
1: whenever this bubble pops, you know, there's going to be a lot of debt that has to be paid off, a lot of margin uh, calls that are going to come. And investors are going to sell whatever they can sell to be able to cover those debts.
0: Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Finance University. So glad to be back here with all you curious-minded people. And we're here with Paul Kiker of Kiker Wealth Management. Hey Paul, good to be hey, back Chris. here with you again today.
1: Hi, Chris. Good to be back as well.
0: So where do we go? Uh lots of things happening. Um you know, I you know, I, I've been uh there's a couple of things that have been on my mind of late. So they're sort of macro things and they're sort of observations. So Paul, somebody that I, um, I know this is not a time a lot of people say you should be cautious because look at stocks exploding, look at <laughs> digital currencies, there's all these things exploding upwards, but um, a good, good friend of mine who trained me said, bubbles never end until you have what he called the final blow-off top, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Maybe this is it, or maybe the final blow-off top is way out there in the future, but um let me just tell you that, like, like this is the one thing that, that catches me more than anything else, uh, is this. Um, so this is the German market here, the DAX, right? And you can see these big candles spiking up here, but honestly, they would look a lot like the big candles that you would see um, spiking up. And by the way, these are just the ads that they give me. This isn't, this isn't <laughs> subliminal anything on my part, nothing I can do about it. Here, maybe I can close that. There we go. So these, you got these three big, you know, this green candles here. This is that huge. Who knows what happened? What scared them, and they created uh, all that easy liquidity, as you and I have talked about, that yes. expressed itself through November like a freight train. But here we are again. And so the reason this is uh, interesting to me is that Germany's in recession.
1: Mm-hmm. Their
0: banking system is undergoing cataclysms right now because of its exposure to commercial real estate. Doesn't look good. But more to the point, their most productive producing industries these are energy intensive industries glass cement steel you know aluminum great depression level minus 23 percent year-over-year decline in output i mean this is like what is even happening right against that backdrop uh higher highs and um record -er highs you know (laughs) 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 right Yes. And, and I just phrase that because, you know, it's just like maybe maybe people can get a little distance from that. We're too invested in our sense of where the U.S. markets are and we have belief structures around it or it makes sense or something. But Germany, yeah. I have having had a hard time with that one.
1: Yeah. And again, Germany is one that just as it's not on our radar. I'm not following every little detail that takes place there. But but I do know that by all accounts that they're in a the recession, their industry has being gutted, but yet their markets are just just rip roaring higher. You know, and the question is, you know, I always ask myself why, what are, what are investors thinking? Is it, is it just this pure euphoria is like they're expecting the, that the central banks are going to slam rates to zero again. They're going to print money and bail mm-hmm. them out. But, but there's a, a real disconnect there. And, you know, maybe everybody's hoping that the rest of the, maybe those investors that are speculating in Germany are hoping the rest of the world's going to pull them out. Right. And that this is the bottom and they're trying to front run it. But what happens if this is a blow off top in the rest of the world and the rest of the world contracts, which makes their contraction even worse? You know, that's a very speculative environment for these investors.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's I can't explain it easily by what we'd call fundamental terms. So I just fit this into the into the bail under the aegis of um, central banks have, have just once again created another set of bubbles. (laughs) <laughs> yes it's what they do there can we be honest the central banks are now serial bubble blowers it's how what they know how to do and the the cure for a bubble is another one and that's what they've been doing since 2001 ish you know yeah um so it's just it, it is the game now you got to play the game as it is right so i'm not I'm not here suggesting anything other than this is odd and when we track it this way um and you know uh, the backdrop of this socially speaking, is that um, since 92.5% of all stocks are held in the U.S. in the top 10%, the top decile of households, this is really actually a social engineering experiment, too, which is, hey, what results when you make and reward one class of people um, preferentially? And the answer is, I think people start to get a little spicy about this stuff. (laughs) We're, We're starting to see that. We see that the farmer revolts in Europe, but I think we're starting to see it here in the U.S. as well.
1: I, I, I agree, and I think it's something that's going to accelerate relatively quickly here in the U.S. as <clears throat> the deceit that's put out there. You can paper over the markets, but the, mm-hmm. the further you're separating the upper class and, and eliminating the middle class, you know, one of the things in the middle class in America is as long as you're staying middle class, right? <sighs> what was the quote that we, that i read, you know, this is a period of time where, where markets are at all time high. We've got this great narrative that we're going to have this soft landing, but Americans are still feeling very vulnerable, right? Like it's the best of times and it's the worst of times. And the problem is, you know, we're very wealthy to the rest of the world, but that vulnerability is because the middle class is not stable, right because if you make a mistake and fail in america right now it's a long way down right especially if Mm -hmm. you're middle upper class and once you hit the bottom it's much harder to recover yourself again work ethic is just i mean work ethic matters a lot you'll be rewarded for work ethic and discipline and and doing things the right way but it's not just it's just not quite enough anymore you've got to be connected the closer you are to those centers of power the better advantage you have at the expense of the rest of the American people.
0: Yeah, you know, um, I had a theory about this way back in the day. um, You know, I'm a big Second Amendment fan. And then uh, um, Mr. Moore comes out. Michael Moore comes out with with bowling for Columbine and he tries to explain it. And I was like, oh, Michael, you got this close because he noted that, look, here's Detroit and here's Windsor, Canada. They're right across the lake from each other drinking the same water being exposed to the same tv shows but the gun violence in on one side is vastly higher than the other side and i thought great cuz you've controlled for almost all the variables the mm-hmm. difference is is that in detroit if you fall down that ladder you get one hospital bill that's too much you're out you know and people generally you know i don't believe that people are just violent all on their own people who are violent tend to be out of any other option in their own mind um and so so at any rate i just thought look us is highly darwinistic you fail you're under the bridge it's on you sorry no help and right. canada at least has a social safety net you can argue with whether that's an appropriate blah 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 but at least you know in europe too like like you can't fail the same way you can here right because your collective tax burden actually goes into making sure that, that there's some sort of a safety net there we don't have a safety net here we don't we don't have one
1: no right no. And if someone fails and then they get on the wrong side of the law, you know, their taxes, their not their, their penalties, their their fees, it's exorbitant, right? And they can't get out of it. And if the only thing that they can rely on is credit card debt, you know, you're 20, 22%. I mean, it's for the first time in many, many years, I've had some individuals come in, clients come in and say, hey, look, I've got a kid that lost their job and they've got $120,000 in credit card debt at 22%, Right. It's like, you know, what do we do? There's not much you can do except for go through the bankruptcy system and, you know, do it the right way, get a good attorney, and hope that they can continue to afford the house that they're in. So I'm starting to see cracks at the edges um, again, and these are kind of the the same things that you started to see in late, you know, early, late 2007, and the same things that you started to see in 1999, 2000. When the markets were doing one thing, but you're starting to see individuals that are just, you know, covered in debt. And if they're trying to dig themselves out, they just can't get out. Every mistake that they make, um, they've got 20 stones that gets in their backpack and it makes it harder for them to carry the pace they were before.
0: It does. I'm going to pull up this chart because we're on the topic. So let's let's go there. Um, That's a fine color. I'll use that one. Uh, Let's do this. So, this is one of my favorite charts. We've talked about it before. This is total credit market debt outstanding TCMDO in the Federal Reserve System or the FRED system. This is Q3 2023, Paul. So, 96.8 trillion. That's what 96,864 billion means. 96.8 trillion. So, this is all debt. You know, sometimes we talk about federal debt at 34, that's a third of this story, right? What's the rest? Well, it's those people you just mentioned who are in debt. It's municipalities, households, corporations, all of it. Just debt, just debt. This isn't underfunded liabilities. That's a different, larger, more bizarre conversation to have. This is third quarter. I'll bet you by the fourth quarter, we're getting to the big round number triple digits when they finally update this series. Okay, Uh so if you go out into the world and BIS will tell you there's $313 trillion of debt in the world upon last count, global record, well, that means the U.S. holds about a third of the total debt in the system we're holding a third of it here in the u.s but we're only like five six percent of the world's population so we're really levered up here and the only way that levered up institutions entities individuals work is if you've got a good lock (laughs) on a highly (laughs) productive new thing you're about to go do right Right. (laughs) leverage is a real beast when when you when you spend on the wrong stuff borrow and spend on the wrong stuff right you know yes um so, I don't mind debt right you, you you borrow to expand your restaurant. I'm happy you buy for a new wakeboard boat. You borrow for that different outcome right so potentially so this is like this is part of the story we are We are levered to the hilt here. we are
1: we are, and that means the margin for error is much smaller. You know a stumble can turn into a catastrophic event, as Mark Twain said, how do you go bankrupt slowly and then all at once, and that's the reason why it catches so many people off guard. Is because, oh, I think I can make ends meet. I think I can make ends meet. I think I can make ends meet. And another indication in our society, you know, the debt levels and just the bifurcated society as far as income levels is the theft in in America right now. I mean, to me, that's an indication of people that in in the moral decay, you know, some people are going to steal just because that's what they're going to do. I don't think that's the large majority of people. Other people are doing it because they either feel entitled to it because that's what they've been taught or because they're desperate to try to make ends meet because they get on social media, they get on television, they hear the president's administration come out and talk about how wonderful everything is. Well, I'm not participating. So now I've got to, you know, be a part of that. So it's sad. It really is.
0: Yeah. So speaking of all the theft that's going on out there, fear not the fbi paul is on it they're on it and if you haven't seen this i i this was for my subscribers i do these um scouting reports and and uh and this was in yesterday's scouting report which i just couldn't resist where the fbi tweets a post a comment and says higher prices dangerous products and closing businesses these are just some of the impacts of organized retail theft And then to demonstrate organized retail theft, they must have had the Gemini Google AI program say, Show me organized retail theft, and it picked two white gals in Burberry outfits and I'm like, No, 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 FBI. These are not the people you're looking for. No. no. (laughs) I'm highly confident that it's not the two young white girls in Burberry cost you know, clothing that are your organized retail theft that you're (laughs) (laughs)
1: hey i I thought that post was wonderful chris when i saw that all i could think was trust fund child right like that's a classic picture of a trust fund child there
0: yeah um yeah no anyway it's just just a sign of the times but but you know to the point that that sort of coalesces around this which is you know the twin pillars of a stable society are empathy and compassion mm -hmm. and fairness right mm-hmm. and so that's that fairness it's like this is there's when 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 that begins to break down people lose the thread and they go well listen whole system rigged against me why shouldn't i steal some stuff right, right? this is just how it goes you know right.
1: right so yeah and that's where the societal collapse ultimately comes from because you you can't build we did america wasn't built on stealing and and uh deceitfulness and i mean there's people that'll claim that it is but the reality is. The golden age of america and what built the foundation for where we are now was just scales and doing business honesty and punishment for those who uh who stole right i think in 2008 collapse nobody went to jail from what i understand that's the first time of any major event throughout history where nobody went to jail i mean there was some local bankers around here that went to jail but not on a major uh, level so it seems to be we're in a society today where if you have deep enough pockets to where you can pay off the right people, then you're above the law, and the worst part about that is that incentivizes you to try to monopolize your in, your environment, <clears throat> and and you just don't have solid pillars for our economy to hold up, you know, to stay upon. Now we don't know exactly when that collapse comes, but the reality is is these euphoric market moves like this is a period of grace for those investors that are participating in it and and are courageous enough to see the risk of the underlying economy and where this has unfolded throughout history to take some of these profits now and reposition their portfolio to make sure that they're building a solid foundation for themselves individually so that they can stand when everything else comes apart and then use the the resources that they have set aside from a long-term uh point of view to turn into opportunity
0: yeah well indeed and and uh i th- this is where you and i align pretty closely which is um you've got a farm yes i've I got do. a farm <laughs> <laughs> and and i'm a big believer in in um uh sort of the parables right like the ant mm-hmm. and the grasshopper like i like i like storing food it's a fun little hobby i do it i like growing food i think that's appropriate you know i I ended um all of my covid coverage at the beginning with one of two things either it didn't have to be this way which i would tighten up now to say it shouldn't be this way Mm -hmm. right it shouldn't be that we have organized corruption and theft and if i could advise the fbi i'd say you're right organized crime is a problem it's just not they don't their names don't end in vowels necessarily it's the (laughs) true at the sec and and out there, and you know, who aren't regulating, and the Congress people, and all that—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a different in Wall Street, so a different problem. But um, uh, but as well, you know, we've got to consider, um, you know, how are we going to continue our 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 path here mm-hmm. with as little issue as possible for people? I, I you know, so I said, plant a garden. So <laughs> yeah. that was the other thing I ended with, right? <laughs> and and so i i do think that's a pro- and it's important i i really believe in that basic resiliency financial freedom is this cornerstone of that. that's mm-hmm. why I, I like doing what i'm doing i want to help people be safe mm-hmm. as safe as possible but from that foundation you've got to use that wisely to help the others around you and that begins by helping yourself first right oxygen mask mm-hmm. goes on you first then your yeah. child um <laughs> funniest thing i ever saw was somebody said i think it was a comedian said so, when you, you put your own oxygen mask on and you got two kids sitting next to you, you got your two kids with you, he's like, pick carefully because the other one will remember who you picked.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's really good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can say so, for sure that, that if you were to ask all three of our kids, they would claim that we would pick the youngest one first. <laughs> 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 they fully believe that. But, uh, all right. You know, yeah, could be. You know, one thing about the situation we're in is is if you look back through history there's always warning signs, right, and we call them mm-hmm. birth pains. so my mm-hmm. biggest concern, Chris, is when you stand back and look at the big picture because it's so it's so easy to get sucked into the day to day activity let's look just back over the past thirty or forty years right so nineteen eighty seven you have a crash, the plunge protection team steps in that was a blip on the radar, but that was a little contraction, a little tremor, right. So then you had all the loose money policy of the late 1990s. You had the the globalization that was taking place that, you know, shipping jobs overseas, um, you know, reduced the inflationary pressures that would normally take place. And that just sets this euphoric backdrop for the U.S. markets will come in the the year 2000. You know, it's you've got an individual on CNBC that's making fun of Warren Buffett because he was down in 1999 versus the market and he's too old. He needs to step aside. And then wham, we have this 80 percent Nasdaq decline, you've got a 47 percent decline in the S&P. Well, I think that was a birth pain, right? So we have that birth pain. That's a warning for those. But the problem is a lot of these warnings, you know, it takes so long for it to unfold that we're just too impatient in our global view. Well, what did the government do? They stepped in and said, okay, debt and money will solve our problems. So they drive interest rates to zero, a house for everyone. And then we get this bubble that's in the housing market. So when that comes to an end, you know, it nearly takes the whole financial system down or at least that's what they tell us so that they can print more money. And then we've had quantitative easing around one, two, three, four. I wish I had the chart on my computer so I could pull it up here. But now we're in the everything bubble (laughs) and it's impossible to know when this ends, but I want to show one little uh, graph here. Yeah, let's see it. The the data comes out. So, you know, U S fourth quarter GDP was revised and and, you know, the, the consistent theme over the past couple of years is it drops, you know, so it went from 3.3 to 3.2, not a major reduction, but when you get in there and start looking at the details and September uh, 30th, 2023, the U.S. debt was around $33 trillion, $167 And on December 31st, 2023, at the end of the year last year, it was a little over $34 So our debt grew basically two and a half times what our GDP did. So it cost basically $2.5 in debt to grow a dollar of GDP. So it's clear... That if something doesn't change dramatically, we've reached the point of diminishing returns to where we could be very close to the suddenly part of this when, you know and I, close maybe two, three, four, or five years or or we may see issues six months from now at some point, the bond market's going to revolt at this what was they call it fiscal responsibility act, which it's completely irresponsible, mm-hmm. so you know that. Just along that debt theme, we think that, that debt's the answer to everything, and the reality is it's not. If used efficiently, it can be a wise tool. But if you go into debt to buy a bunch of depreciating assets or short-term, you know, go go spend, borrow $500,000 to take $500,000 in vacations, you're going to have a lot of memories, but you're not going to have much left over after those vacations are finished because you don't have any income to, to cover the, the uh, payback of that debt.
0: This has been, a, we, we've been on that slippery slope of more debt doing less and less for, for quite a while. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that would be apparent. And, you know, I showed, the, I showed the TCMDO, the total credit market debt, outstanding. It's going like this, you know, mm-hmm. but GDP, if you put it on the same chart, it's going like this, you know. So they're just growing apart from each other. That's just, that's a, a visual representation of more and more to get less and less, you know, per unit out of the whole thing. Eventually, that breaks at some point. We all know that. Mm-hmm. We, we all know that. And so the question is, you know, how do you get positioned for that? How is it going to break? When, when is unknowable? Mm-hmm. But I think it's responsible, the most responsible thing you can do because you can't know when. And you can't really even assess the risk properly because who knows? It's uh, Rules get rewritten all the time. That's but it's right. like you said, it's the same reason you owe fire insurance. I don't buy fire insurance the day before my house is going to burn down. Like I don't know that, right, unless I'm an arsonist or something, right? So, right. Um, yeah, so I shouldn't know <laughs> that, right? Uh, you shouldn't know it, that. I should not know that. Uh, nobody should. So, But but the point is, is that um, since you can't know when, you have to act as if it could be any time. That's right. right. I don't know any other way to do this myself. It's it's. We know this is going to end at some point. We just know it is.
1: We do know it's going to end and, and that kind of reminds me, you know, we're in the midst of the market euphoria here and Goldman Sachs um, has got a flow, fun flow guru, Scott Rubner. And he, he had a a report that was released here, here recently and he stated that equities have entered a period of quote entered a period of euphoria which which we can basically see that you look at all the calls on the bitcoin uh space uh the magnificent six now tesla's struggling a little bit so you would consider them the magnificent magnificent six but still they're they're garnering the large majority of the f- uh, money that's coming into the market and that is euphoria and, of course, he adds in his note that, quote, it's proved impossible to call the top, and analysts are upgrading their year-end price targets by the day, given the Goldilocks and soft landing narrative in the market. You know, so, you know, my thought is, is you know, his argument is we could be entering a blow-off phase, or maybe we're already there. You know, somebody's going to get lucky. There's people out there, there's an individual that I don't, that I get frustrated with over the years cuz every year they're calling the market top and if the market doesn't top they close that company down start another one and start a whole bunch of other newsletters so somebody's mm-hmm. going to get lucky in picking that top but frankly there just isn't a catalyst at this time right now for a potential sell off and the markets are just the market participants are just unwilling to pay for hedges so that reminds me of of a quote by J uh, Paul Getty and he stated, buy when everyone else is selling and hold until everyone else is buying. You know, and he, he goes on to say that's not just a catchy slogan. It's the very essence of successful investing. So you know, depending upon your circumstances, if you have a plan, and most people don't have a plan. Most people don't know exactly how much of a return that they need or what allocation that they need to be successful over the long term. You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of times they'll just get concerned and they go all in CDs, right? Well, that's good in the short run, but if your income levels are too high for your assets and you're going to run out of money before you run out of life, that's not a good place to be in. So if you've got a good plan together and you look at it, hey, maybe you've got some stocks that you've participated in, you know, not a recommendation. You need to talk to your advisor, just educational thought process. You got to think about this, you know, harvest some of those gains right now you're not going to pick the top and so what if you leave a little bit of money on the table if it, if you've had enough gains ahead of schedule to be able to get yourself out of debt right mm-hmm. or maybe you've got enough gains inside your portfolio to where you're already out of debt and there's enough money in there if you sweep it off the top that you can go buy yourself a farm or a or an extra property that's outside of a city if that's where you are and you had to because if something happened that you could move to that location and prep. So this is a period of time where investors and individuals need to know their plan. They need to know why they're investing in a certain manner, because if you're investing strictly for greed, that's where you're going to get in trouble. But if you look at your assets where you're prudent, okay, I'm not chasing the greed game. I'm not trying to keep up with my brother-in-law. You know, I had, I had a, a client make a comment to me the other day. He says like, man, this is an easy environment. I know uh, three of the biggest idiots that I've ever met in my life, and they're making money hand over fist. He said, last time I saw that was 2007. So not Mm -hmm. saying people making money hand over fist or that, but we all know that type of person, right? It's like they're gambling and they don't know that they're gambling. So if you know your situation, then you can be prudent with the assets that you have and buy some insurance. Take these euphoric market is an opportunity to do what Warren Buffett teaches you to do, Jesse Livermore, all the legendary investors of the past. You wanna pull some cards off the table when everybody's begging to to buy your stocks from you. And we're in a period of time right right now where I think it's a period of grace, and it may last until the summer, that investors have the opportunity to make some some wise decisions to set themselves in a position to where they can survive that volatility and thrive in that volatility whenever it arrives.
0: Yeah, I heard um, Warren Buffett talk uh, recently, and at, at, um, I read something he, he said, I didn't hear him talk, but he said, uh, he said that, oh, well, uh, reviewing things, he said Coca-Cola and Amex, it's two of his best holdings. He loves them because they've just got this market share and they are what they are. And he said that long time ago, he's already gotten 100% of his investment money back in dividends mm-hmm. from these companies. Like, and that's what investing is. So that's why, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you just don't get it, Chris. AI is going to change the world. I'm like, yeah, but if you're paying 40 times sales for a company, Mm -hmm. you're going to get hosed. I am sorry. There is just no possible way that you can put even together the most bullish spreadsheet ever of, like, how they take over the universe, um, you know, without that sort of backfiring on you. So now you're not investing. You're speculating. You're speculating on the idea that you're going to be able to sell it to somebody else for a higher price than you bought it for. That's a different question. I'm okay with that. You want to be a blackjack player? That's fine. Mm -hmm. But investing is what Warren Buffett does. So... Um, do you have a, a, do you know what Warren Buffett is up to? Is he, is what, what's oh, yeah. he doing? Is he yeah. piling cash up or is he buying right now? What's he yeah, doing? So,
1: so one of the things that I always tell people, we, we run a, a value stock strategy, right? So we run it a, a, on the basic premise of what Buffett does, but we do run a risk managed approach to it. So it's completely different, but in the same kind of ballpark. But mm-hmm. one thing that amazes me about Buffett is his discipline right he is a disciplined investor he's calm when the markets are crazy he whether they're crazy to the downside he's calmly buying and when they're crazy to the upside he's calmly selling so when you look at going back to that presentation i had just a minute ago um hmm. buffett okay this is berkshire hathaway cash and short-term investments so they've been steadily rising since over the past 10 years and then they dropped a lot during the 2022 market sell-off so so he took advantage of that 20% market decline and then has been raising cash into this rally and look how rapidly that they've been Ooh, building yeah. cash. Now I read a headline and I haven't had the time I, this weekend. I'm going to sit down and read his report because his report just came out. And he basically said the era, if I remember correctly, the era of, you know, fantastic returns is over that it's going to take a lot of, I'm summarizing the, the article. It's going to take a lot of, uh, hard work and, and patience and discipline to be successful. So when you look at this, you've got the most respected and successful investor, uh, honestly. Now I think, uh, Nancy Pelosi's portfolio has beat Buffett now, but that's a completely different situation. I would uh, argue, um, (laughs) the, the, sorry, I I couldn't help it, Chris, but, um, (laughs) But, you know, yeah. what he's doing right now is exactly what he quoted 14 years ago. And and I can't remember the quote exactly, but he says, you know, to be successful in investing, you know, it's, it's quite boring, you know, sell when everybody else is buying, because if you fire all of your bullets, I'm adding that because he says, if you fire all your bullets, you have nothing to buy with when the market goes down. So when you look at this, he is disciplined and practicing what he's preaching. So here we have the most successful investor in our lifetime that's still actively investing in the market. And what's he doing into this euphoric rally? He's raising cash, and he's building his ammunition. He's building his uh, cash available so that whenever things come apart, he's going to do what he did in 2001, 2002, 2003, and go put that to work, and he's going to buy these companies that these speculators are puking or they're forced to puke and sell out. So when everybody throws out the baby with the bathwater, he's going to be there to rescue the baby and continue to build his um, reputation and his return returns.
0: Will you pull that back up again? Because I see a lot in that chart. I would just want to talk this through really quickly. Um, So, so I, so these, the wiggles look like quarters to me. Um, you know each oh this is, so yep. this is quarterly i apologize
1: so this is yeah
0: you know. oh yeah quarterly it says so at the top mm-hmm. so so what i see here is from the second quarter of 2022 zero drawdowns so so they've just been accumulating cash since the second half of 2022 so that's half of 22 all of 2023 and here into the first quarter of 2024 just like nope not, nothing to buy here right now what's that's interesting right. is this probably starts it looks if i'm guessing probably second quarter 2000 Fourteen is my best guess You're squinting at this yes you're and right you see you're this 10 years yep. from this quarter yeah so every every other year every other year it's going up it's going down it's wiggle wiggle but there was one that one spot there from looks like about 2019 end of 2018 up through to all of 2019 into 2020 so even when COVID happens there's a little dip there in 2020 mm-hmm. um but not not much um and and then you're right. They they did a lot of buying there in uh, that first quarter of 2022 on that dip, and then just been hanging ever since. But 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 you can see it's like this is discipline, right? They're, they're going. They're sometimes buying, sometimes accumulating cash. It's going up. It's going down. And they have been sitting on their hands for a year and a half, here, just yes. sitting on them. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's that's and that
0: 2019. Sorry, that 2019 is it, that was also a year I was screaming loudly. Most people forget this because COVID came and then we you know got amnesia. But 2019 in September, we had this repo market accident. There were like popping rivet sounds, you know, overnight lending rates went up to 10 and percent at one point. It was just like crazy. That was a great environment. I was advising people to step back right around there. I was saying that this is this is confusing. So, you know, all I need to do is look at this chart and just say and i'll follow this guy because it this is this is the correct way i think to to be looking at things
1: it is it it makes sense to me it is it's patient he's doing exactly what's uh, caused him to be successful and you know and this is an over overly simple analogy you know coca-cola has been in the portfolio but the way i explain it if there's 100 college football teams for example um modern portfolio theory is going to spread your money between number one to 100 And the the only time that you're supposed to rebalance it is if you get 10% out of weight. You know, the corporations are going to go, oh, we'll rebalance quarterly because it makes you feel good that they're doing something. But the reality is you set your parameters and you don't do anything. It doesn't matter uh, under that strategy, your traditional Wall Street modern portfolio theory strategy, if you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the markets are going to go down 50% next year or there's two nukes in the air headed towards... There's no sell mechanism. There's no lower the risk, right? To go towards the Warren Buffett analogy on value, his strategy is to focus on the number of teams 90 through 100, right? So they do the research. They invest into those teams that have the greatest likelihood. And then if they get up into the top 10, you know, oversimplified analogy, but just to give people an idea, that's where he's going to sell them. And all the studying that I've done over Buffett over the years and just looking, you know, if If those teams bought in number ninety through one hundred get into the top ten, that's the trigger to sell and reinvest the funds back down there at the bottom because that's the euphoria right when they get into the top ten that's when everybody's wanting to buy them That's when you know somebody changes their college football team and starts cheering for whoever's in the you know top ten so but coca-cola as an example theoretical examples kind of stayed around number fifty. So he's held it all over that period of time. They haven't been number one, they haven't been back down the bottom. But what's amazing about him is I fully believe, you know, this is just hypothetically speaking, not saying that's what he do, but fully believe he is so disciplined that if it hit a cell trigger, he would even walk away from Coca-Cola because because of the discipline process that he has. And uh, and that's what makes him so impressive and it's it's amazing the wisdom that he's shared with individuals, and you go look at that cash hoard that he's building in here. he's doing exactly what he said he's doing in the past, but nobody's paying attention because they think he's boring right now, right
0: Well, he's not using a i so it's totally boring um. right. <laughs>
1: Well, and you go back, yeah. even even AI reminds me, like Amazon, for example. I mean, that was one of the euphoric stocks in the late 1990s and in the year 2000, investors just way overpaid. Now, I got to say, as busy as our schedules are and how, and like with my clothing sizes uh, at my uh, height, I have a hard time finding clothes and tr- clothes, my correct size in a traditional retail store. So Amazon, for me, is something that I never used in 2000. I don't think I even used Amazon in 2009, 2010, but I do a lot of purchases on Amazon now just because it's so easy. So that Mm -hmm. has changed for so many people the economic purchasing at retail as we know it. Well, there's no doubt that artificial intelligence is going to change over time. But if investor behavior throughout the past is any indication of our human weaknesses, right? This is a, 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 a problem with our psychology more so than it is our intelligence. We know more now than we ever had before, but still our emotions take control of us mm-hmm. and we get too optimistic. We start speculating. We'll watch our brother-in-law or somebody else that's making ridiculous amounts of money and you don't respect them very much. And then you just can't take it anymore and you jump in. And I think that I don't know when, but I do believe that we're going to have a repeat again, that at some point in the next two to three years, investors are either going to learn the same mistake that those in the year 2000 learned those that speculated on houses in 2007 uh, have learned and if they don't it's because nobody has any jobs left and artificial intelligence is doing everything and that's a completely different problem because what's caused all the bubbles in the past is the same psychological weaknesses uh, that we have as humans And this is probably no different this time we just have no clue when when this euphoria is over that's the most frustrating part
0: right (laughs) yeah 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 well listen um you know to help people feel better uh if you do get caught up in the in the hysteria and all that and lose all your money you'll you'll when you get to heaven you'll you'll find um uh sir isaac newton will be there and you can swap stories (laughs) because do you know his story He got into the South Sea bubble, which was this magnificent stock bubble back in the 1700s, right? And so he got in on that thing, and then he got out, right? And he made a killing. He made a killing. But then he's going to parties, and it's still roaring on, and people are talking about it. And some, I'm going to guess some pretty girl came up to him and (laughs) sort of gave him that wrinkly face, you're not in the South Sea stock, and he couldn't take it. So he dove back in and lost it all like 20,000 pounds. He lost it back in the day. I think you could have bought Rhode Island for that amount of money or whatever. I mean, it was like huge. Yeah. yeah. So he, he, what what did he say at the end of that? He said, "I can calculate the motions of planets, but not the madness of men." Right? It's like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. It's hard. It's a really hard thing. Doesn't matter how smart you are, you can still get caught up. Well,
1: know? and I I think sometimes uh the more intelligent someone has, if they're relying on that specifically, it's easier to justify it, right? So he was one of the most intelligent human beings that we've seen throughout history and all the good that he gave us, but he was still subject to our normal, basic human psychological weaknesses.
0: hmm Yeah, it's hard. It is hard. John Hussman said that, you know, when it comes to bubbles, it's really tough to be a financial manager because your options are, you're either a goat, you know, beforehand, or you're a goat afterwards. And I don't mean greatest of all time. I mean, you know, a goat, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like uh, people are yelling at you for not participating, or they're yelling at you for not having them got gotten them out, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in time. And it's it's a really hard position to be in. You just got to, sometimes you just got to stick with your guns and, and know what you know. Um,
1: well, and, so. and, and we're fortunate from that standpoint right now, because we've adapted over the years to play the, gained by the rules that are forced upon us. Now, we're not 100% allocated right now, but we used a lot of the market weakness last year to deploy some capital. So we don't have anybody that's too frustrated right now, but but I can tell you there's an individual that that's here locally that in 1998 uh, managed, I think it was $200 million, by 2000, he said all of his friends had fired him. All of his family had fired him. <laughs> you know, he'd go to the grocery store mm. and people would look at him. And he's just like, you guys are crazy. You know, pay attention to history. So I think he went down to like $150 million, if I remember correctly. Well, by the time the 2003 crash occurred, right, those that had stayed with him, he had redeployed capital, sidestepped 2008, and retired with something like $1.2, $1.3 billion that, you know, and... You know and he he just laughed he said that's just the pain that you have to pay to be able to advise people correctly right Mm -hmm. you know you've got to be able to be willing to stand in that gap and if they fire you they fire you you can't be all things to all people if you don't do your job and educate people then what good is your fee for right so I remember him Mm -hmm. sharing that and, and just you know, every now and then he'll call and check on me and say, hey, you know, I hadn't heard from him yet. So I, don't, I guess he doesn't think that the market's that irrational right now. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it, it, it's hard to imagine that this could go on for two or three or four more years. It's possible. Now, one of the things I'm starting to see talking around the edges of the market is, you know, saying, hey, this is 1995 and this is going to be a five-year run, right? Because we artificial intelligence has brought some productivity expansion in. Um, that's hard to imagine, but you can't completely rule that out because you have no way of knowing when this thing's going to end. But if you have rules in place, you have decision points in place, and you've got a strategy that can help you guide, it's kind of like a pilot, right? We can either fly by the seat of our pants or we can use our instruments. And if it's sunshiny and bright and everything's great, then we don't have to rely upon those instruments. But every time that I land a uh i'm on a plane i don't fly a plane every time i'm on a plane that lands in a storm where i don't even see the runway until after we land i'm really glad that pilot's instrument rated
0: yeah i'm thinking of that movie scene from dirty harry you know do you feel lucky punk you know (laughs) did did he fire five shots or six you know killing eastwood (laughs) talking to that guy right um so I, I, I agree in principle with the people I can't, who say this argument. I can't disagree with it. Listen, uh, you know, it's concerning. Maybe the markets should correct, but the Fed won't allow it. They'll step in. They got our back. They've had, they've had our back the whole way through this. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't again. Okay. But have they fired five shots or six, right? Because mm-hmm. against that, you know, what you have to worry about is there are a loaded chamber out there that could include a more expanded war with Russia. They, could go very pear-shaped very quickly i don't know if most people know this but europe's very restive and you know the people over there are getting uh, particularly the farmers are uh, it's not reported here much but they are very unhappy with the direction of things and that that can create its own issues and as well mm-hmm. you know yemen has still totally blocked off uh the red sea for certain transits of certain things um let me see where did i put that
1: yeah i sure you know. i put it that disappeared from the news here lately. So unless I'm going to search for it, it's it's hard to hear anything about what Yemen's been doing lately.
0: Yeah, well, I can show you what they've been up to um, because, because again, here, let's look at this very quickly. Um, again, from Andrea stena uh these are weekly shipments of LNG uh, transiting the Suez Canal up at the north end of the Red Sea there. And, and you can see it's normally 35 to 40. It's gone to zero. Right. Zero now that makes sense because LNG tankers are among the more explodey variety of ships out there Um, But it's gone. It's gone to zero and here's why that matters So all of Europe's getting it's a lot of getting a lot of its LNG It's it's you know loaded up in the Middle East typically cutter and it goes on these tankers And then it goes up and through now because they can't go through the canal. They have to go around Africa right that adds Let's say 12 13 14 days onto the trip um the problem with lng is it's a really cold substance like minus 200 plus degrees fahrenheit right and to keep it cold they actually use some of the product as they're shipping it it gets it boils off which evaporatively cools the, the stock but then they take the boil off and they run compressors with it right so um so it's boiling off about a percent a day so as soon as you close that that canal down and you have to ship that stuff around africa you're losing 10 to 14 percent, maybe 15 percent. Of that cargo due to time
1: that's expensive very expensive. it's very
0: expensive it's taking somebody already expensive and adding a minimum of 10 10 11 12 13 14 percent onto that and then that just becomes friction in the gears of Europe and next thing you know farmers are unhappy that these things all connect like this right and so so I'm just saying that yes the Fed may try and bail us out again but there's chance particularly in the Middle East and around uh, Eastern Europe that things could Come and like I don't see that risk being factored into people's thinking in no. the prices, into this euphoria yet. um
1: Well, I, I think it's complacency. I mean, Chris, it's like you know, at first everybody thought that the Russian-Ukraine war was going to spill over, and then all of a sudden war breaks out and in, and in, and in the Middle East, you know, between Israel and Gaza, and and then all of a sudden it just kind of that was yesterday's news. The, the markets have just completely, matter of fact, they surged on the large majority. And I'm not, not initially on the, um, well, I can't remember exactly what they did now. I'm second guessing myself if they didn't move on uh, Russia actually entering Ukraine. But the reality is the markets have ignored all that. And, and if the Fed has that much power, you know, what I get concerned about is we learned during the lockdowns just how, tightly our global just-in-time inventory is right and then all of the supply chain disruptions and the shortages that we had during the periods of time and that seems to have settled itself down now but you've got that potential taking place right now with what Yemen's doing but what if there were disruptions in several other areas of the global economy because of expanded wars now that's a wild card that the market's just refusing to consider right now
0: yep yep um this is pretty impressive too um let me just show this really quick uh this is from Sven Henrik Northman trader on twitter showing this is a, a chart of multiple expansion and here wow. if I don't is my little yeah you can yeah it's showing up um this is that mysterious thing in the through November starting twenty twenty three but look at this multiple expansion isn't that astonishing? So, this is, is the price earnings multiple. It, it bottomed out at just somewhere around 21 here, I would guess ish. Mm-hmm. Right. And now it's all the way up. Um, what, what's the highest number up here? 26, 20. It's probably 27 ish. So, so, five full points of multiple expansion, five points in a couple of months. The, like, for, okay, Paul, you have gray hair like I do. Explain to the newbies out there. Like I, I spent whole decades where it didn't move like more than a couple points. But, right. you know, like this is a huge multiple expense, Like five, we're paying five extra points on on price for earnings. I mean, it's just that's an incredibly complacent move, right there. It's it's uh, astonishing.
1: Well, I mean, to me. ju- just to simplify that for the listeners out there, when you buy a stock, the only thing you're paying for is the future earnings of a company. And that price to earnings ratio tells you how much you're paying for those future earnings. So all of a sudden, since November, it's worth paying five times more for the future earnings of those companies on what? Just the fact that the Federal Reserve is going to, you know, potentially um, cut interest rates, which they haven't done yet. The artificial intelligence assumption is, you know, yeah, you could justify a little bit higher multiples if this artificial intelligence allows, you know, massive productivity expansion by these companies, but that's still speculative at this point, right? It's just still speculative. We know it's going to make a difference, but how big a difference is it going to make and how good is it going to be if nobody has a job because you've got artificial intelligence doing anything? So that's a a whole nother problem. There's got to be a fine balance in there somewhere.
0: So um so I'm looking at it now um on a smaller screen it's over 27. So okay. again for people who aren't as familiar with it like I like buying things that have a PE of 5 not yes. that it's just expanded by 5 right it's a totally different thing but what that means is that today on average to buy the SPX if you bought it as an index you're you're saying I'm willing to wait 27.1 years just for the spx to earn it back i don't know what they're going to pay me in dividends it's a fraction of that but i'm paying for that future streamer earnings and some of it they'll pay back some of it they'll put into r d so they can expand and grow and that all makes sense Mm -hmm. i get that um but i'm going to spend i'm going to wait 27 years for the average company to earn back what i just handed to the markets (laughs) it's right things really have to go super well like you said earlier there's not a lot of buffer in that there's not a lot of room for for error in that particular story things have to all go mm, chef's kiss perfectly to for that to pencil out
1: it has to go perfect and i think i have this slide in that presentation so i can go back and take a look at it mm, no i don't have the price earnings ratio um here uh, market capitalization is kind of similar but it takes us back to the year 2000 right mm-hmm. where where the market was euphoric Multiples were really high. Investors were paying uh, at the same levels that we are now on on most of your priced earnings multiples, if I remember correctly. So give me some grain, you know, a little margin for error there. But the reality is the S&P 500 went sideways for 14 years and the NASDAQ for another 13, 14 years because investors just paid way too much for the earnings of the company. They were just too optimistic, too euphoric. But but the interesting thing is, Chris, with the Magnificent Seven leading like they are, I'm, I'm not completely bearish on the whole market, right? Because there are very good overlooked companies that are out there right now. They're very good and, and affordable, low price, lower price earnings ratio indexes of countries that are supplying the goods that we need. Right, they're supplying all of the commodities and and everything that we need to function in society, like we function, you know, to build our cars, to build our roads, to build our bridges, and they're so ridiculously underpriced right now. You don't know when it's going to turn. They're just the unpopular kids, and and the best way I can explain it is. You know, it's kind of like back in high school, you've got the kids that are, you know, the the uh, athletics and, you know, there's there's not all those that that's the best days of their lives. But there's a lot of kids that, that high school was the best that they had because they didn't take the time to study then. That seems to be where they are right now. This may be the best of time for, for these companies. You know, they're still going to be leaders in the future, but as far as stock stock performance – And then there's these others that when you look two, three, four years from now, they're the ones that are going to be the leaders and everybody's chasing them then and paying these large multiples. So as investors, what we need to do is to look at a long term picture, you know, pay attention, have emotional control and discipline. You know, if you want to have a little bit in there, that's fine. But make sure it's money that, you know, it's not enough to wipe you out. You know, there's serious money and then there's play money. And take your serious money and invest into these, these sectors that we know are going to be critical for the longevity of our economy. And they're underpriced just because they're not popular right now. You know, we don't want to invest on a popularity contest all the time. If we invest into what's going to be good four or five years from now, then we'll own the popular stocks when everybody else wants them. But we purchased them before everybody was paying these ridiculous premiums.
0: So, Paul, you think there's there's value investing to be done in this frothiness? There's there's places you can find value still?
1: I do. I do. There are sectors that look very attractive. Now, here's the here's the wild card, and this is the, the one reason I would say even those, to an extent, you have to treat them like grandma's cookie jar. So I think I've told the analogy before. My grandmother hated you to eat her cookies before you had her dinner. And if I, I always played the game, I'd stick my hand in the cookie jar, and she'd smack it real hard, you know cause I had to make sure I ate dinner. Then I could have the cookies. The problem is, is there's really attractive value stocks and they're still going to have some volatility because whenever this bubble pops, you know, there's going to be a lot of debt that has to be paid off a lot of margin uh, calls that are going to come and investors are going to sell whatever they can sell to be able to cover those debts. So if you go back to like 2007, gold peaked around a thousand dollars an ounce. Um, and then I think it was in mid 2008 when the worst part of the liquidation took place. Gold dropped to about I think it was somewhere between six and seven hundred at bottom, and then it took off to its ultimate peak back then in 2012 or 13, around 18, 19 hundred dollars an ounce. But the thing is, is it had a short term drop and an immediate move to new highs. A lot of these value stocks are gonna have those type of uh, performance and reaction more than likely every now and then you're going to have something that's going to go straight up because investors just realize how attractive it is but there's a lot of value out there and yeah maybe it still goes through a 10 or 15 percent decline but that's a big difference between a 30 50 or 60 percent decline right and especially if it recovers it real quickly so I do see a lot of value out there high dividend yields dividend yields provide you a little bit of safety there is a lot of opportunity out there if you're willing to roll up your sleeves and go look for it
0: So i'm trying to find this let me see if i can find this all right just looking at this um very quickly you you probably will know this because you're a pro maybe i don't know this one this one surprised me so this is across many many years this goes back to the 90s i think here but what is this stock can you name it in one second
1: oh that would be uh qualcomm i I can't tell the years on there sorry nvidia
0: no it's close That's Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh,
1: I should have known that. I should have known that. That's actually been on my watch list.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But why is Abercrombie and Fitch like, woo, rocket ride? I'm like, what? Don't they make somewhat boring clothing? I mean, I don't, you know, whatever. Uh, It just, that one surprised me. I was not ready for that one, you know? (laughs) So when I talk about frothiness, I'm like, clothing? You know, and it's gone nowhere for, for decades, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. And then that at the end there, I don't know. Anyway, that's part of my thesis for, I'm like, that's odd. All right.
1: So I, I got, I got to tell you something here that'll, that'll, that is very humbling to me when it comes to Abercrombie and Fitch. So we filter down through and we've got two stocks that are coming into our, our investment portfolio strategy. And one of them is Abercrombie and Fitch. And this was back in November, December. So Dylan and I argued for a full day, he's like, I like retail. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't like retail right now. I don't like retail. And, you know, and they were literally together and it was a coin toss and Abercrombie and Fitch didn't win the coin toss. So, uh, that was a painful one, but I'm, I was, so I have been watching that <laughs> stock. I've been every day. I've been sitting, looking at it going, my goodness, <laughs> you know, what a move. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> had it, had it not been a coin toss, we would have added it. But when all things being equal, there was a tie. I was like, I like this one better. He's like, (laughs) I like this one better. I said, well, let's toss a coin. So, All right. um, Sorry, guys. Um, Bad coin toss.
0: (laughs) Bad coin toss. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm looking at my clock here. I see. I know you've got a a meeting coming up. So um, thank you so much for your time here today. Anybody, again, who wants to have a consult with Paul and his amazing team at Kiker Wealth Management, come to Peak Financial Investing, very simple form. Kicks out an email. You will be contacted. Um, and Paul just, uh, been, been hearing great, great things. So, um, about people's experience with y'all. And so thank you for doing what you do. Thanks for your time today.
1: It's, it's our honor and it's always a pleasure. So look forward to next time, Chris.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, Chris Martinson. I'm the CEO of Peak Prosperity and also Peak Financial Investing. And after watching that, you're probably wondering, well, what do I do with my money? Look, you both deserve and need somebody who can talk to you about what's really going on in this world. Understand the situation as it is, not be steering you towards certain things that don't make sense for you or just keep you in a game that's already ended. Look, if you want to talk to somebody about the petrodollar declining or what is happening with gold or which sectors are actually the best ones to be. And given what the Federal Reserve is up to or the federal government, you deserve to talk to somebody who can answer those and has a few gray hairs and has been there through some of the economic cycles because, hey, we're in another economic cycle, so it's good to have that experience. Fortunately, at Peak Financial Investing, what we do is we go out and we scour and we look for the very best firms out there who satisfy one thing above all else. They've got great experience coupled to great customer service. So if you want to come by peakfinancialinvesting.com, there's a very simple form you can fill out, just a few fields, you hit send, what happens is an email gets triggered out, it goes to uh, an endorsed firm of ours, you will get an email back, you can then set up a phone call for a 30 to 45 minute, free, no obligation, no pressure. Call to find out if this firm is a good fit for you and to find out if you're a good fit for the firm, it has to go both ways. And if all that matches up, this will be one of the best things that could happen to you this year. So please come by PeakFinancialInvesting.com. Very simple process. We would love to help you if we can. Thanks very much.